Welcome to the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast, I'm your host Harry Chan. In this episode, we look at the silver linings of ending the WSL and the championship. Then in our crash course segment in focus, we will discuss why Arsenal seem to struggle at times this season. But first, some news from this week. number of female referees in English football has increased by 70% since 2016, according to the Football Association. In the WSL, 63% of games this season were officiated by women, which is 22, 20% over the last four seasons. Now, the FA also found, interestingly, that 98.3% of decisions in the WSL matches in 2019-20, before it ended, were correct according to the new match official evaluation system. If you ask me, 98.3% seems to be a bit of an overcount, but according to the system, that's the number. FA's Women's Professional Game Refereeing Manager, Joanna Simpson, said that we need to treat refereeing in the women's game as different to men's, because the game is played, quote, differently. The players behave differently and the environment is different. It is interesting that the FA finally recognised that they do have to treat it differently after Phil Naval apparently tried to play the same tactics in the Lionesses' matches and instead of using his own tactics. Meanwhile, Scottish Women's Premier League Executive Officer Lorna Cameron said that women's football in Scotland is at risk of losing momentum if it cannot return swiftly. Just one round of fixtures had been played of the new season before it was suspended on the 13th of March because of the current pandemic. She said that, quote, another challenge is quite a lot of teams do not own their own training facilities. It's local authority training facilities, so that presents a challenge for us. The other significant challenge is living arrangements and home hygiene. Not all the players are professional, and some of them work, and some are even key workers. Now, Celtic and Rangers had shifted to professional women's teams, in a bit to end Glasgow City's 13th season dominance. As we have discussed earlier, Glasgow City is not associated with a men's team, while Celtic and Rangers, as some of you might know, are two of the top teams in the Scottish men's Premier League. Back in England, Chelsea manager Emma Hayes said that cramming in fixtures to complete the season would have meant that players with international commitments having, quote, three years of back-to-back tournaments. Now we've counted there could actually be four. Olympics 2021 in Tokyo, Euros 2020, that is in England, World Cup 2023, we don't know where it is yet. Currently, we have three bits, which we will talk about a bit later in the show. And possibly Olympics 2024. And there could be four tournaments, back-to-back tournaments, as Emma Hayes said. So it does make sense that we don't play out the FA Cup as the Football Association seems to want to do so during the summer, although the Champions League seem to want to end the campaign during September or August.
Now we've been talking about the cancellation of the WSL and the championship for a long time. The FA has finally confirmed the final league placings for 2019-20 on Friday. And they have also decided or they have planned to start the next season on the 5th to the 6th of September. That weekend is a FIFA men's international fixture slot at the moment. That's when the WSL launched last year and as some of you may remember had quite an impact. Just to keep you updated, Chelsea were named the champions via a points per game system, Liverpool relegated and second tier leaders from the championship undefeated Aston Villa, they were promoted to the WSL. Arsenal missed out on Champions League spots, more about them in our crash course segment in focus but in theory they could still get into the Champions League next season if they win it this year, they're still in the tournament in the quarterfinals. The women's football transfer window would now open on the 19th of June and close on the 10th of September, while clubs pre-season training would provisionally begin in July. The Football Association still, as we've mentioned, wants to finish the Football Association Cup the FA Cup, but no decision has been reached just yet. Should Chelsea have taken the title? That's perhaps yes and no, because awarding the title on a different metric is never fair. You can't change the rules halfway through, and in our opinion, in theory, yes, Chelsea has a mathematical advantage, but then the league was never played out in a mathematical way. Um, as we have said in previous episodes, the ep- WSL should have resumed, but as we have said, it lacked FA support, more on that in the previous episodes. So yes, in a sense that if you have to stop the season now, Chelsea having a mathematical advantage should take the leap. That's the fair outcome, perhaps. It's very undesirable, but at least is the, the best of all evils. But the second question that is arising perhaps this week is that Liverpool is relegated. Now, as we know in the men's league, Liverpool is pretty much on course to winning a Premier League title that they haven't been able to do so for a long time. So, should the women's team be relegated? We said no, and we still stand by our proposal, or as we have discussed with uh, Angela Addison last week, to expand the league, promote two teams, not relegate anyone, and to expand women's football, given this opportunity. But then, at the same time, we do have to consider this is a good warning bell for Liverpool, although the manager, Vicky Jepsen, says that the club's relegation from the WSL is, quote, a difficult pill to swallow after the season was abruptly ended. But why it is a good warning bell is because if we, for example, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, who said that financial support is lacking, if we look at these things, where players don't train at the same facility with the men's team, whereas, ironically, the Merseyside counterparts, Everton, are revamping the whole women's football team system with a lot of money being invested into the team and to boost them, as we have said earlier uh, in other or in other episodes. Yes, a lot of players are leaving Everton, but at the same time, we think it's not a clearing out exercise. Rather, it is an attempt to improve the squad quite dramatically next season. So as we have said, 
Liverpool being relegated is a very good warning bell, not just to the team, but perhaps to the management of Liverpool to consider what they want to do with the women's team and whether the support currently is lacking. Now perhaps an unexpected silver lining here, Australia's W League could benefit with the uncertainty surrounding European women's football as the country prepares to relax social distancing measures. Their organising committee, the FFA, the Football Federation Australia, has shown its flexibility before, making changes to its schedule this year to accommodate changes due to the pandemic. The country has also dealt with the pandemic very well. In addition, the league is more likely to be flexible in accommodating for changes next season, especially with Tokyo 2021 incoming. This will be a big concern for players as they want to be at their fittest before the Olympics. The W League is looking to expand the league and to play a full cycle with both home and away fixture instead of a half cycle where teams only face each other once. Now the Australian Football Federation, the FFA, will love this opportunity because of the joint bid with New Zealand to, as we've mentioned, host the Women's World Cup in 2023 and as they prepare to enter the final stages where the results are announced on 25th of June, this movement could mean that their application is stronger as more players look to go to Australia to play their football. We may expect them to loosen visa applications and make it easier for low moves to happen between clubs, especially if some European leagues cannot resume later this year. And also an update regarding the Women's World Cup. Brazil has pulled out their bid, citing financial constraints due to the pandemic, leaving only New Zealand and Australia to join bid, Japan and Colombia. Now, New Zealand and Australia may have the best chance, as Japan probably has too much on their plate with Olympics 2021 coming in, and whilst Colombia may be seen as the only representative of South American countries, and most South American countries have rallied behind Colombia, it is seen perhaps as less stable and less attractive for tourists and hence FIFA due to the pandemic and security issues within their borders. As we have said, the results will be announced on 25th of June and we'll keep you updated through our social media accounts. We'll be back. In other news, Arsenal defender Louise Quinn will leave the WSL club when her contract expires this summer. The 29-year-old centre-back who also plays for the Republic of Ireland helped the club win the Continental Cup in 2017-2018 and the 2019 WSL title after joining from Notts County in the summer of 2017. Meanwhile, Bristol City have exercised the option to extend the contract of 19-year-old striker Eboni Salmon for the 20-21 Women's Super League season. She was the top scorer for Bristol City with 8 goals from 20 games in all competitions during the terminated 2019-20 campaign. Meanwhile, at Tottenham Hotspur, Rihanna Dean and Anna Philby both signed new one-year contracts with one-year options 
with Spurs. Wales centre-back Philby joined Spurs from Arsenal in 2018 and helped the club win promotion to the WSL a year later. The England under-21 forward Rihanna Dean is Spurs' top scorer for the past two seasons, netting 27 goals in 43 appearances. And another interesting fact is that they actually met each other when they were only 7 years old. Defender Nayama Fahi has committed herself to relegated Liverpool women by signing a new two-year contract. The Republic of Ireland International is staying, despite the club losing the WSL status. Welcome back to the show, this is my Crash Course segment in focus. Every week I pick one hot topic in women's football and take you through the issue and try to answer the biggest questions surrounding the topic. This week we talk about Arsenal women and the injury problem. background on Arsenal women. They won the Women's Super League in 2019 and sit third in the league as it ends. They have lost the Continental Cup to Chelsea, those a close 2-1. They lost to Chelsea 4-1 and 2-1 in the league, uh, 2-1 back in 2019. And they also lost to Manchester City 2-1 again. But they won 1-0 in the original fixture that is earlier in the season before the injuries began to power up. Now all those losses came later in the year when, as I've said, the injuries began to power up when they begin to lose players like Daniel Carter through an ACL injury and Beth Mead, Kim Little the captain and in the beginning of the season a recovering Jordan Nobbs who also suffered an ACL injury that took her out of the World Cup in 2019. But what we want to look deeper into this episode is why Arsenal is struggling in the league. Is it something just related to injuries or is there a deeper problem with the tactics or player selection done by the manager, Joe Montemiro? I just literally went to, to go press the ball and the next thing I know it's just like a few seconds of like everything stopping and me just literally thinking, oh my God, I've done my knee. Jordan Nobbs looks in a bit of pain. Now this could be bad. Concern on everyone's faces. So in this episode, we ask two questions. First, what flaws in the team did the injuries reveal? And second, would Arsenal be in a better position without the injuries? So what Arsenal is struggling in is actually quite different from other WSL teams. Of course, they're one of those teams that we call as the top three perhaps in the league, Manchester City, Chelsea and Arsenal, perhaps Manchester United trying to fight for a spot there. But these are the teams that have a very strong pool of players. So in general, these teams don't have a problem moving the ball to the attacking third. But even for Man City or even for uh, Chelsea, what they sometimes can't do is to actually move 
uh, the ball from the defense to attack and actually to create the chances, which is something that Arsenal can do. They move the ball into the final third, owing it to Blair Williams and Jordan Nobbs, Kim Little and Daniel Van der Donk. These players very good at moving uh, the ball upfield and uh, from their own half uh, to their own mid midfield and then to the attacking third. Whereas if you look at other teams, they are in the midfield but then they can't move it into uh, the final third, at least not as easy as Arsenal. In an interview, Daniel van der Donk, she said that Joe Matemiro gives them like seven rules to follow as opposed to uh, being told how to play. Now this is, in, in my opinion, effective to the extent where players are creative enough with more and more attackers being injured, however, for Arsenal. It actually makes preparations against these players easy because there are less players to study and without a tactical setup from the Arsenal manager, Joe Montemiro, it's actually easy for other teams to see how a set of players will play, like Daniel van der Donk or like Jordan Nobbs or Vivian Miedema. It's easy to study these players and it's very easy to stop them. Because for Miedema, she can only do so much without the ball. There needs to be support for her. And with Montemiro's idea, that is to give them freedom to play with only seven rules. It's a very interesting idea, and it will probably work against most other teams, as we have said in the beginning. There are only like around three or four teams in the league that can match Arsenal in terms of the talent within the pool of their players. But when that doesn't happen, when the most important games in the league is are those games where you play against Man City, Man United, Chelsea, those games decide the title and decide who can play in the Champions League next season. So what you see in Arsenal is an offence that is struggling in the final third. And together with injuries, then you can't stick with this seven rule uh, system. Like He needs to train his team to be clinical in, say, at least two ways of attacking. So, for example, putting through balls outside the box or maybe low crosses with attackers running in. So, you need to prepare your team against a certain opposition and prepare your players to play clinically, really, when they're in front of the goal. Because with giving them too much freedom, too much creative freedom, leads to them doing something that they always do. And when you don't have everyone on the same page, it's very hard because you can't make that many substitutions. Because with the injuries, you can't change a player, you can't put another winger on to try to make it harder for defenders to cope with a new player. So this is something that Montemiro probably looks have to look at. Because what is happening now is like a boxer in a ring, but with only limited moves. By the time your opposition is done after round one, they know what you are going to do and you can't change them, which makes it very, very hard for you, to, for you to win any games. Different pressures, obviously the pressure of expectation. I think I've, I've said this already before, but uh, you know, it's all good to win and, uh, and have the opportunity to, to be champions and, and, uh, and obviously get back into where we need to be. But now it's about sustaining that, it's about staying there. Now, our second question was, would Arsenal be better off without injuries? Um, the answer probably is maybe. My proposition is that, you know, Arsenal, their defence was not great in the first place. And a weaker offence with injuries and all that 
simply exposes this problem. Because teams in general give Arsenal the ball. Um, because Arsenal, as we have said, is one of those stronger teams. And then they try to flood the gaps in defence when Arsenal lose the ball in the final third. This is a tactic that you know, teams that are not in the top three would often do. And if they convert more of their chances, then of course Arsenal would probably be fine like with the amount of chances they're creating, the amount of chances they're put, presented. They should be totally fine, even if their defence is expo- exposed. Because first of all, when your defence is exposed, you, the other team have to sit back deeper and deeper. And second of all, if you're able to take your chances, then conceding one or two goals would, in comparison, be fine for the overall scorer. Now, Arsenal's defence already has one less problem compared to other teams. Their first choice goalkeeper, usually Manuel Zinsberger, she's a tall keeper at around six foot, so most crosses she can deal with them. So the thing is that with this goalkeeper, Zinsberger, who is tall enough, defenders don't have to worry as much with crosses. And then the next problem is, or perhaps not a problem, it's just something that has to be considered in a tactical sense, is Leia Williams. And we talked about her ball playing abilities in our previous episode, in, in another episode. She needs cover because she is more of a midfield player, a bit like Tottenham's Eric Dyer, for example, or Angolo Kante, for example. She moves the ball up from her defence to the midfield, dribbling herself or making the passes. She's a very good long passer, and that's good. But the problem is, with her moving up, then you only have three defenders at, at the back if you're playing with four defenders. So most of the times this season you have Katie McKay playing on the left-hand side as the left-back and Lisa Evans who are playing on the right-hand side as the right-back. They are good options going up front. They are essentially midfielders. But as wing-backs, they are not raised as a defender and that is a problem. So, in this season, most of the time you have Williamson playing with Louise Quinn, who is going to leave, as we have said earlier in the show, um, after the end of her contract. So, whoever they bring in next season is going to take up this role. That is to be pretty much the sole defender to cover for uh, uh, Leia Williamson when she moves up. And with your flying wingbacks, what happens is it's pretty much a one defender situation when a counter-attack happens. That is, in this season, you have Lewis Quinn trying to stop the opposition all by herself. And that's very unrealistic. I mean, she has done a splendid job. She's played very well. Even in the Continental Cup, you can see that she's covering and she's very, very strong at the back. But she can't stop everything. The same with Zinsberger. You can't expect Zinsberger to just stop everything and catch every single cross. I think one thing they should have thought of, perhaps for Arsenal, was to keep Emma Mitchell. Uh, Emma Mitchell was loaned to Tottenham um, as, as a left-back who doesn't really have much chances of playing at Arsenal. But the thing is, with her at the back as a left-back, true, she doesn't attack as much as Katie McKay, who is pretty much a left-winger, if you will. But she's a solid defender who can cover for Williamson going up. Because if you have Emma Mitchell on the left-hand side, and then 
for this season, Luis Quinn or whoever comes in to take her spot uh, at central defense next season. At least you have two solid defenders who are who can pretty much play as centre backs to cover for Williamson going up or cover for Lisa Evans on uh, right wing back, for example, going up. Or if you don't do that, another alternative perhaps may be to use Williamson as a midfielder to use her as part of a perhaps free defender system. That is a free five formation, perhaps something uh, we talked about. So with two defenders at the back to cover for her, she can go up and then you also have your wing backs going up, Katie McCabe, Lisa Evans, and that would be fine because with only one defender, as we have said, it's way too much pressure. So in any event, I think what Arsenal has to think about is how to have Lisa, uh, uh, Leah Williamson be able to go up because if you just tell her to stay back, that's a waste of talent. And have someone cover for her and not leave whoever comes in for Lewis Quinn as exposed as Quinn was this season. So I think what we can conclude perhaps is that this season Arsenal is way too head heavy. That is their attack is strong but they're too focused on building a strong attack because if you look at Chelsea, you look at Man City um, finishing uh, first and second respectively this season. Chelsea, Miley Bright, Bordelana, uh, uh, Ericsson, um, Chelsea's captain. You, you look at these players and Sophie Ingle, for example, for Chelsea. These three players are very, very solid as a defender. They don't go up very often, but they're very solid at the back. And for example, if you look at, say, City, you have England's kept, captain, Steph Houghton, Gemma Bonner, for example. You have Demi Stokes on the left, left back. Again, you have a strong back line who is not as a block ball playing defender as Leia Williamson. So that's better in the sense that you help the defence. Yes, Leia Williamson is a very good option going up front for Arsenal, but if you look at those who are winning the league or winning the games that they have to win, they don't have that option. And having this option means that you have to play a slightly different system, as we have said earlier. Either you do something about leaving Lewis Quinn at the back, or you do something about um, having Leah Williamson move further up the field. You either limit her, or you have to find someone to cover for her. Uh, and B, obviously, you know, teams are going to be a little bit more, um, you know, uh, studious in the way they're going to try to stop us. Um, so we expect uh, we expect teams to be, uh, I suppose, sustain. Uh, whether they're you know they're defending or whether they're going to put pressure on us, they're going to do it for longer periods, and we need to be we need to be smarter now in making sure that we we're, we're consistent in what we do. Here's what else you need to know this week: the transfer window for WSL and Women's Championship clubs will be opening soon. Clubs have been releasing a number of players now and then, especially Everton and Liverpool. We have very different expectations for the two clubs, whilst we look forward to seeing how Everton will boost their team with the amount of support shown by the board, we look on with concern with Liverpool officially relegated and more players may leave the club instead of going down with them. The US Women's National Team demanded that the US Soccer Federation to repeal its national anthem policy, which requires that players quote shall stand respectfully when the anthem is played. 
This is part of a larger Black Lives Matter movement that calls for authorities to stop racial injustices and police brutality. If you like this podcast, remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. We'll be back next week, and thank you once again for listening. I'm Harry Chan, and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast. Thank you.